You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop. Good day and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Neil, and I'm joined in the studio with uh, Ken and Jeff here. How, how are you both? What's up? Good night. And uh, thank this you, Jeff. Our, this is our second Australia-centered uh, episode in a row. It is. It's very exciting. Uh, we have a very special guest we'll get to in a minute, uh, but uh, we've been giddy over this for uh, quite a long time, so we're, we're going to get to that. Uh, but as you might have heard, you didn't hear Matt's name, and uh, Matt, unfortunately, is in transit. Uh, you may have heard that he was uh, moving to L.A., which was not a joke. So he was. Uh, <laughs> he is, in fact, moving to L.A. You know, it's hard to tell on this show, like... Neil, I've seen your back, and I still don't know if you have a back tattoo. It, it varies. Uh, but Matt is in transit. Uh, he actually um, got hooked up with a, uh, a group of Navy SEALs, uh, and they're going to be in, in a sort of a stealth plane that is going to fly under uh, Air Force One and attach itself, and then the SEAL team is going to go up through the tubing into the plane and make some executive decisions. Does this have something to do with Harrison Ford or... Uh, Kurt Russell. Oh, okay. Yeah, so John Leguizamo, Steven Seagal, executive decision. Uh, oh, okay. Very random reference. But check it out. Uh, but yeah, so Matt's doing that, and uh, we wish him you know luck with all of that. But we have a very, very special guest here today. He's a Cruiserweight champion on Patreon. He supported the show for a long time, and we're actually big fans of his. Uh, we watch a television program that he's on. Uh, we, uh, I think, illegally kind of stream it, but it's still okay. We love it. And uh, he's on a show called The Chase. He's our friend Bryden Coverdale. How's it going, Bryden? G'day, nice to be with you, and uh, I appreciate the, the the g'day that you gave me, you know, particularly because there is a question uh, that I'll be asking you later that is about bad Australian accents. So, yes. uh, Ooh. yeah, good good start. Yeah, Love we'll it. run rampant with that. Uh, well, why don't you tell people? Well, let's note that Neil did not do an accent. I didn't, but Jeff did. <laughs> yes, Jeff yes. did. I could have done an accent, but I, out of respect for our guest, did not. <laughs> but Jeff just doesn't give I a sh- will bastardize anything if i think it's funny <laughs> uh brian why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where people might either know you from or where they should know you from well uh yeah i'm from melbourne australia um i am a look i've been a quiz person from way back i've uh, been on you know, 10 or so uh quiz and game shows here in australia where i'm probably quite fortunate that the the pool of contestants is a fair bit smaller than it is in the u.s so it's easier to get on um at the moment though the last four years i've been uh, one of the chasers on the chase australia uh you guys i think have had a a a version of that um 
uh, on the Game Show Network with my colleague Mark Labette. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's you know, the, the the chaser in the US version. Essentially, the our job is to kind of be a professional quizzer who uh, tries to either stop teams winning money or really making them earn it because they've got to beat us to win the money. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and speaking of Mark, you know, you your colleagues on your show, and he's on the American version of The Chase, but uh, maybe perhaps in the future here, uh, you guys should face each other on an episode of Triviality and just see, you know, mano a mano. Yeah, look, that would be a very interesting episode, and uh, if you if you stuck to the U.S. pop culture, um, it would be a particularly interesting one because we'd probably all do quite badly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, we love having you here. We really appreciate your support on uh, on Patreon, and you're always great about emailing. Uh, and you also actually do a little bit of writing as well, right? Yeah, I'm a I'm a journalist by by trade. Um, uh, I've sort of spent ten ten plus years as a cricket journalist, a cricket writer, traveling the world, uh, following the Australian cricket team to. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the places that they go—India, England, South Africa, New Zealand—all um, these sorts of places. Uh, not doing that full time anymore because um, I have the chase to keep me occupied and two little kids and a, a third on the way, so I've got plenty to keep me busy. Um, just do a little bit of writing on the side now. That's wonderful. Uh, well, uh, Bryden's here. We're excited to play his game, and uh, I guess we should go to the rules guy to figure out what we're doing. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Now, he did the same thing Jeff did. He did an Australian accent as well. Yeah, that was weird. I think his was better than mine, though. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he actually is Australian, and he full-time is doing an American accent, like all the Australian actors who like, are much uh, better at doing... could be. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Strahovski, who basically doesn't have an Australian accent anymore because she's been acting so long. Yeah, I love that interview I saw of her, yeah, where she said it's basically gone away now, and Australian directors are telling her you lost your own accent. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. It is sad. Uh, well, uh, I think since Matt isn't here, we're just going to do a three for all. Uh, Jeff versus Ken versus uh, me, I guess, or myself. Um, but uh, Bryden, I guess, uh, take it away and we'd love to uh, start the game. All right, let's kick it off. Um, round one, your first question is in sport. And uh, I'll warn you that uh, most of the sports questions I hear on Triviality are the big four US sports leagues. I, I won't be doing that so much. This is a little more worldwide. What was the first city in the southern hemisphere to host the summer olympics man i'm i'm really bad with the uh the olympic cities i'm locked in but i'm gonna lock in with a guess here uh man i for some reason i'm thinking like mexico city but i don't think they've actually had an olympics yet maybe um are they going to have one so i'm trying to think of somewhere around there or maybe south america possibly um i don't think is Brazil in the Southern Hemisphere? I don't know where the equator is. Uh, I'm just going to go Mexico City Helpful. for no good reason. I think Brazil is partially in the Southern Hemisphere. Is that right, Jeff? Uh Almost or entirely. All, almost. There's entirely. a little bit that's okay. north of the equator. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know about this. Um, I'm trying to think of something I could pinpoint, uh, but I'm very bad with Olympic history. But I remember the Sydney Olympics well, so I just put Sydney. Um, I'm gonna play Babe Ruth here and try and call my shot. Uh, Sydney was in 2000. 
Rio was in 16. And the only other one I could remember, and I think it was the earliest, was Melbourne in 56. I am in it right now. It is Melbourne. Yeah, 1956. Oh. So you're from Melbourne? And, and, and they, are, they, they are the only three Southern Hemisphere cities to have hosted uh, either the Summer or Winter Olympics. So, All right, question two. This is television. Uh, Seinfeld and Friends were basically the two biggest sitcoms of the 90s, and although there was never an official crossover between the two shows, one of the six main Friends did appear in an episode of Seinfeld, and one of the four main Seinfeld stars did appear in an episode of Friends. Name both stars. You'll need to get them both right to get the points. All right, I'm going to lock in. It's all you. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and... Uh say that jason alexander was the one who was on friends because i remember his uh turn uh calling phoebe i think who was the suicide hotline operator or something like that um as for the other the vice versa uh i really don't know but i'm gonna go courtney cox because she ended up doing a lot of uh, a lot of guest guest roles yeah, I I had a feeling Courtney Cox might have been someone Jerry tried to date or dated. Um, I just kind of pictured her on Seinfeld or remember seeing her. And uh, for the Friends one, when Ken said that, it totally makes sense because we wrote a Friends game for a live trivia event, and I did a picture question of him in the Suicide Hotline. I did not remember that, but I put Michael Richards. Yeah, I was pretty certain about Jason Alexander. Um, Courtney Cox makes a lot of sense. I sort of wish I went that direction. Uh, I said Lisa Kudrow because I remember she did crossovers with Mad About You, so I figured maybe not as Phoebe, but she was also on Seinfeld. So, Well, yeah, Ken has backed his way into this. It is indeed uh, Jason Alexander and Courtney Cox. Uh, so Courtney Cox was one of Jerry's very many girlfriends, um, and the thing about that episode, she uh, pretended to be his wife to get a dry cleaning discount. That was the, that was the joke. <laughs> That was the joke in that episode, and uh, yeah, you were right, Ken, about uh, Jason Alexander in, in uh, Friends. Um, Phoebe essentially talked him out of committing suicide. It was yeah. he was basically Poorly. George Costanza yeah. with a different name. All right, question three: uh, Presidential families is the category here. Which U.S. president became something of an internet sensation in 2012 when it became widely reported that two of his grandsons were still alive? A fact that was truly remarkable because the president himself was born in 1790 and was the 10th president of the USA. I am locked in. Just give me a second yeah, to count. Yeah, Ken's counting to 10. Okay, I'm in as well. The situation was basically like they had kids in their like 50s. Yeah. Like both times. Yeah. It's just insane. So he's the 10th president. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know the presidents like Ken does, so I can't count up uh, from the beginning. Uh, I do remember this being a viral hit i suppose on social media um man i'm i am i remember hearing it i just can't pull the name of the president so in honor of seinfeld being the previous question um and the gang of the van buren boys i'm gonna go martin van buren you're not too far off pretty close yep yeah following martin van buren you had tippecanoe and tyler too so i said tyler uh tippecanoe and tyler too was uh harrison Mm mm-hmm and, and Tyler was his Tyler VP, was who would after. be 10. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Tyler. Yeah, it's John Tyler. And, uh, yeah, so basically the story is he had, I think, 15 children. Um, the latest ones when he was, I think, in his 70s. Holy and then crap. one of those children had children when he was in his 60s or 70s. And so two of those, uh, a couple of guys who were born in the 1920s and who are, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, still alive even to this day, uh, in their 90s, and they are grandsons of John Tyler. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. 
It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, two hundred something years for three generations. Yep. Hmm. That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're moving on to music now. Uh, one of David Bowie's biggest hits. Which 1983 song has a music video that depicts a young Australian Aboriginal couple in various settings, including dancing in an outback pub, visiting the big city of Sydney, and wandering in the bush where they mysteriously find a pair of red shoes? I'm going to lock in, and I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I am going with my favorite David Bowie song, so that's what I'm going to lock in with. All right, I'm in with a guess because I, I can't pick a song based on the year, and I haven't seen this uh, video, so just picking a, one that you can dance to. This is killing me because the, the red shoes, that's something. That's a lyric or something, and I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, I've gone through a few Bowie songs. can't remember which one it was, so I'll settle on Suffragette City. Yeah, I originally wrote down changes, and then I made a change myself and put Suffragette City because I think that's the danciest one. Uh, well, my favorite David Bowie song uh, goes a little something like, Put on your red shoes and dance the blues. So I went with Let's, Let's dance. dance. Yeah. Yeah, it's Let's Dance. Yeah. If you uh, if you knew the song but not the video, that was the way to uh, get into that one. It's uh, Yeah, lyric in, in the song references the red shoes. So. Hey, well done, Neil. Good, uh, good Bowie impression, too. Thank you very much, Ken. <laughs> was that Bowie or Jimmy Bowes? <laughs> 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 it depends on what in what alley you find him. I was going to say, we'll get to the bad accents in a minute. Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> All right. All right, your next question. Uh, this is a type of question that I'm calling uh, nearest the pin. So it's a, the answer will be a numerical answer. I'm not expecting anyone, anyone to get it spot on, but I will give points to whoever's closest. So okay. points, will, points will go to somebody. This is the first PVP question I think we've ever had. Mm. What's the PV, what's right. PVP? Player versus player. Oh, okay. The longest match in professional tennis history was played at Wimbledon in 2010 between John Isner and Nicholas Mahu. What was the final score in the insanely long fifth set, which was eventually won by Isner? Okay, I'm going to lock in just with a random guess. Yeah, I've got no basis for figuring this out. Uh, so am I. I'm going to go with uh, 17 to 15. I'm a little close to that. I went 16, 14. Mm, I went 88, 90. Yeah, well, uh, two of you undershot it and one of you slightly overshot it, but not by much. It was 70 to 68. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. It was like a very many day match, yeah, if it, I remember it, right. It, yeah, the, the final set alone um, took over eight hours and on its own was longer than any other match in professional tennis history. That set alone. The, the whole match went across three days. It was just insane. Well, if and you this... have the patience for five-day cricket, then uh, perhaps... <laughs> Perhaps and one of these tolerable. One of these players was Sting then. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just because the match went on really, really long. <laughs> Stop with the Sting <laughs> jokes. I don't know why today was a Sting day. It's the, and it's on, on the other Australian uh, episode of yeah. Triviality. Oh man. I don't know why Sting is on the brain, but it's a, he's he's my desert rose today. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Points to Jeff on that one because he was definitely the closest. Um, all right, next question. This is your obligatory Simpsons question. Which long-time recurring character on The Simpsons was effectively retired by the show's writers in 2013 after the death of actress Marsha Wallace, who had voiced the character since the show's second episode back in 1990? I'm locked in. Me too. Uh, all right. So as the listeners know, I don't watch The Simpsons. I, I only really only... I've seen a few episodes. Um... I'm going to describe the character, and maybe you guys can give me five points, because I don't watch the show. I don't know any characters' names. 
It's the woman who is Bart's teacher who wears a cardigan and has a short brown haircut. Um, I'll tell you, you're you're locked in. Yeah, you're exactly right. I don't know what her but name you is. Still need the, the Miss. Name. Um, oh man, it's the one who makes them right on the board. Uh, Miss. Um, I'll not cheat on my test. Dear Mrs. Hoover, you have Lyme disease. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, Miss Slughorn. I don't know, from Harry Potter. He was he was kind of on the right track. It's uh, Miss Krabappel. Yep, I said Edna Krabappel. Yeah, Edna Krabappel. It is. Yep. Damn. I thought that was. I thought that might have been a Matt question. He's a Simpsons guy, isn't he? He is. Uh, Matt, I think. Yeah. I think they actually did like kill off Miss Krabappel too. Oh really? Yeah. Did they? Uh, I, I stopped watching after yeah, about me too, but eight or nine season like along 10, with 11. pretty much yeah. everyone else, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. This question is surprising film credits. Pajama Party, Beach Blanket Bingo, and How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, all released in 1964 or 65, are among the final films featuring which Hollywood legend, who was described by film critic Roger Ebert as, quote, the greatest actor-director in the history of the movies. Just can't get the California champagne commercials out of my head for some reason. <laughs> ah! ah. <laughs> the Paul in the Sun. <laughs> Sparkling wine. <laughs> the greatest. Hmm. Oh, I have an idea. I'm just trying to pull it. I don't know. Just looking at your shelf real quick. I know, right? Don't, uh, don't turn around. I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not too sure about it, but I'm just going to lock it in. Okay, I'm I'm locked in as well. So I went John Ford. Ooh, John Ford. Um, I'm just taking a stab here, and maybe uh, Charlie Chaplin was long-lived. I don't know. Uh, so I went with someone. I was trying to think of who Roger Ebert would have said was an actor-director, and you would think he'd go maybe Charlie Chaplin, but Charlie Chaplin, uh, I just don't. I know wasn't in those movies, and I went with uh, the American version, Buster Keaton. That, that was my second guess. Yeah, I would have been a little bit disappointed if Neil hadn't have even got close. It is Buster Keaton. Well played. Good job. I should have got. Why did I go Charlie Chaplin? Dude. I mean, you were that close to it. Honestly, it, it, that that was that was that was pretty close. Charlie Chaplin did live until the 1970s, so he was definitely alive then. But uh, so yeah, Buster Keaton for some reason he did this you know, series of those kind of you know, surfing beach kind of movies in the 60s with a lot of young people, and he was kind of the did they have some know, good the, stunts? Uh, the, the, to- the token cameo. <laughs> no, I, I the one that's called How to Stuff a Wild Bikini came on TV here a couple of years ago, late at night, and I, I was just like, what? the hell is this buster keaton is in it as like a 70 year old witch doctor and uh um, well, i mean and the, Len, the dude was always like a comedian so you know it's like yeah maybe he just was yeah. tapping into that yeah, oh the, that's right and, and uncle leo from seinfeld was in it as about a 30 year old as well it was just a, a bit of a mind-blowing <laughs> film to see trying anyway. to picture him as a 30 year old the only reason i yeah. i got that one is i just i remember watching a documentary and seeing buster keaton in color which what it was kind of weird for me and then seeing him old uh, in a comedy, and that's kind of what I, where I pulled it from. All right, next 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 category is beer and geography. Although a common stereotype is that Australians are big beer drinkers, we are in fact only twenty third on the list of countries by beer consumption per capita. The Czech Republic is easily number one, but second on the list is an African nation whose beer drinking ways presumably date back to its German colonial origins. 
what is the name of this country, which was previously called German Southwest Africa and was sort of given a new name two years ago when Donald Trump proved unable to pronounce its name properly? Hmm. He's so good at mispronouncing and things. I was ready <laughs> with the Czech Republic thing and then you took it away from me. God, I've got a guess. It's in the region, so. Yeah, I, I have a guess as well. This is one of those things where having a partner is good because I, if I saw it, I think I would remember uh, probably from the um, mispronunciation more than the actual answer. But I just don't know. Um, I'm just going to lock in uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I'm terrible with uh, African geography. Uh, so I just picked a country that I know is relatively southwest-ish because I just wrote a question about it and I went with Gabon. Um, yeah, I, I took a stab at Swaziland. Yeah, no points. Jeff is definitely closest, but uh, this is a country that Donald Trump called Nambia. It's <sighs> Namibia. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Like we said, his, his mistakes are hard to recount. I believe, oh, yeah. before <laughs> Donald Trump uh, mispronounced uh, Namibia, I believe it was uh, also famous a few years before that for Angelina Jolie, right? Isn't that where she adopted one of her children or something? I remember it being a huge news story. Namibia, Maybe. I think so. Or Madonna, I can't remember. All right, mo moving on to uh, someone else who may or may not have an accent. Uh, famous New Zealanders, which 10-time Emmy-winning US TV series has been hosted ever since its 2001 debut by New Zealander Phil Kogan? I have a guess, and I'm going to lock in. Uh, me too. I've got nothing. I've got, I don't have, I don't have an out. idea. Yep. All right. Um, I just remember Amazing Race won a ton of Emmys like every year for uh, for best reality show or something like that and i don't remember that guy's name so maybe it's that yes uh american race american race the amazing race <laughs> uh went on uh, a really long stretch of wins and i didn't know the host's name but i do remember when it would win they would introduce him because you everyone knew greg probst from survivor and i could never remember the guy's name and i, I knew it was something very really generic so i went with amazing race yeah, it is the amazing race. He uh, doesn't speak with a New Zealand accent. It's very much an American accent, but he is a, a proper Kiwi, Phil Kogan. Right. Oh, cool. That's why I didn't know, because well, he doesn't have an accent. And right. I was like, well, maybe it's no, that's right. maybe he lost it. All right. Last uh, question in this first round. The category, and you'd be disappointed if I didn't have one, is cricket, uh, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Which cricketer has scored the most first-class centuries in history is a question that is central to the plot of which Oscar-winning film? I have, uh, I don't know. I just have a random guess. I don't know any movies that feature cricket or a cricket player. I don't that either. That are coming to mind. I think he's. It's probably a plot point where, you know, like, in uh, in Little Giants. I don't know why I'm talking about Little Giants, <laughs> but in Little Giants they talk about the annexation of Puerto Rico. I'm sure I mean, it's just a a line in the script. I mean, I wanted to talk about Field of Dreams. So. Okay, I'm locked in. You're locked in, Jeff. Did you lock in? I'll go Field of Dreams. Okay. Uh, I don't know why I just said a beautiful mind. And I'm going to say maybe that was one of the questions in Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, man. maybe. I'm glad that somebody got it. It is Slumdog Millionaire. Yes, Ooh. that was what I think might have been the second last question at a quite a high level. Um, it was the one where the host tried to steer him in the wrong direction mm. uh, in the bathroom. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So yep. it looks like Ken's bowling an excellent game right now. Millionaire. <laughs> millionaire. <laughs> So uh, I got 50 points after that uh, first round. I've got 30. And I've got 40. Oh, man. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely well, going to lose I'm, this game. 
I'm not too unhappy with those scores because I, I wrote this, you know, with the intention of it being a, a two-on-two. So those, those scores aren't aren't too bad, I think, for it's pretty, playing pretty on your own. Pretty ideal. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're moving Beautiful. into the uh, swing round. Yeah, now before we get all to right. uh, Bryden's uh, swing round, he is a Patreon supporter, so we just want to call out all of our wonderful Patreon supporters who make this show possible. And uh, Jeff, uh, what do they mean to us? Um, Everything. Wow, I didn't even know where to go. I, uh, thank you. That's the only thing I can say, really. Uh, it's, the, it's the whole reason the show is continuing to grow and be successful. Um, we couldn't do it without our patrons. If you'd like to be one of those patrons, check out the information in the show notes. Go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. A lot of great things for any level of support. And uh, again, we always joke it's a dollar a day. It's not. Um, tiers start at three cents a day. I know I did the math. But uh, so, it, I mean, anything you can give uh, is greatly appreciated. It is the whole reason that the show is free for everyone. And um we have continued success so yeah and all joking aside anytime we get one of those emails that says uh you have a new patreon support it really makes our day yeah and uh yeah which is unbelievable if you've ever met me that's true jeff (laughs) jeff uh jeff's cold dark heart uh shines a little brighter just a little bit so yesterday the uh 27th september 27th right yes so we got one of those and it warmed my heart and i also found out spider-man is still in the mcu which also warmed my heart yes they worked out a deal spider-man and uh, or yeah spider-man not himself but uh, disney show. and uh, and marvel and uh, sony worked out a deal so good for you ken that you're happy thank you yeah i'm glad that the multi-billion dollar companies agreeing on something made you happy <laughs> it's one of my little joys all right don't take it away from me uh, well, Bryden, uh, we know you as the uh, the biggest Tom Holland supporter. You have a huge poster of him behind you. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the swing round about Tom Holland? Uh, sadly, no, no. Uh, the swing round. I'm going to give you um, ten clues to famous people who were born in Australia. Now, you may or may not know that they're Australian, uh, and I'll say that there are a couple that are quite tough, but a lot of them are quite gettable. So, um, just do your best to name these ten famous Australians. Wonderful. Number one, born in 1931, the media tycoon who memorably appeared on The Simpsons and referred to himself as a billionaire tyrant. (laughs) Number two, born in 1975, the mononymous singer who hit number one on the US charts with the song Cheap Thrills. Number three, born in 1962 with the name Michael Balzari, the mononymous musician who was ranked the second best bass player of all time in a Rolling Stone readers poll. Number four, born in 1947, the actress who finally found Hollywood stardom in her 60s when she was nominated for Oscars for Animal Kingdom and Silver Linings Playbook. Number five, born in 1968, the actor known for his lead role as Dr. Christian Troy in Nip Tuck and who is also the son of an Australian Prime Minister. Born in 1971, the controversial figure who famously lived at number three, Hans Crescent, London, from 2012 to 2019. Number seven, born in 1941, are you prepared to name the singer who had three songs hit number one on the US charts in the early 70s, most notably the feminist anthem, I Am Woman? Number eight, Born in 1962, the director who followed his breakthrough film Muriel's Wedding with the Hollywood hit My Best Friend's Wedding and who initialises his name to avoid confusion with a famous Australian actor. Number nine, born in 1981, considered one of Australia's all-time greatest basketball players. She was the WNBA's MVP in 2003, 2007 and 2010, all while playing for the Seattle Storm. 
And number 10, I, Matt really had to be here for this one. I apologise in advance. Born in 1965, considered one of Australia's all-time greatest basketball players. He never really established himself in the NBA, but did win a championship ring in 1999 with the San Antonio Spurs. All right, well, we'll think about these for a minute and uh, we'll be back with our answers. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Was, or call the police. Or call the police like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, all the answers are now locked in, so let's uh, get the questions one more time and we'll see how we did. All right, born in 1931, the media tycoon who memorably appeared on The Simpsons and referred to himself as a billionaire tyrant. Yep, this is an easy one for me. It's uh, Rupert Murdoch, the yep. billionaire tyrant. Seeing as how he owns Fox, I said Rupert Murdoch. Didn't know it from The Simpsons, but I knew it from uh, his history. I went Rupert Murdoch. It is indeed Rupert Murdoch. Well played. Born in 1975, the mononymous singer who hit number one on the US charts with the song Cheap Thrills. This was uh, tough for me, but I think uh, maybe Sia. Yeah, I went with Sia. Yeah, she's older than I think every time I think about it, so I said Sia. Yeah, her surname is Furla. Her real first name is Sia. It is Sia. Well played. Uh, number three, born in 1962 with the name Michael Balzari, the mononymous musician who was ranked the second best bass player of all time in a Rolling Stone Reader's Bowl. I'm going to say this is uh, Back to the Future co-star Flea. Yeah, I was way off, and uh, for some reason I'm still on a Sting kick, so I said Sting. I was thinking, what are the odds that uh, you know Flea is you know pushing sixty? And then I remembered, yeah, the band's been together for like thirty-five years, and he was in Back to the Future. And then I thought, what are the odds he's the second best bass player? And that gave me pause. But I went with Flea. Yeah, it is Flea. Uh, a lot of people might not know he was born in Australia. He was born in Melbourne, I think. Although 
moved to the US as a child, but uh, yeah, it is Flea. So Neil, do you th- do you think uh, Sting is just still inside your head? I, yeah, I think he's well. He's going to be there for a long time. I know that, and uh, and so yeah, he's just I, staying there. He's just staying there, and he's, a, right. He'll leave. When just he, enjoying being there. Yeah, he'll 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 get out when he wants to get out. <laughs> All right, moving on. Born in 1947, the actress who finally found Hollywood stardom in her 60s, Oscar nominated for Animal Kingdom and Silver Linings Playbook. I could not pull this one. I just put in uh, Smith and hoping to be lucky. Yeah, big fan of her, uh, especially in Silver Linings Playbook. But when I saw Animal Kingdom with uh, Joel Egerton, she's awesome in this movie. Um, it's Jackie Weaver. And uh, we had a Lucky Leguizamo on a previous episode, so I went Leguizamo. <laughs> oh, so close. Yeah, it is uh, Jackie Weaver. Yeah, so it was quite surprising when, um, you yeah, because she's been around in Australia for years and years as you know, a good actress, but um, to suddenly kind of hit Hollywood stardom um that late in life that was uh pretty amazing for her all right uh born in 1968 the actor known for his lead role as dr christian troy in nip tuck and who is also the son of an australian prime minister yeah i'm just trying to go with a lucky jones here uh i think ken was on the right track i believe he played um dr doom in fantastic four and it put uh, julian mcmahon mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Uh, I was trying to think of the other guy, Dylan something. I can't... McDermott? Is it McNamara? What is his name? I can't remember the other guy. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, anyways, I couldn't remember it, so taking a whiff. Yeah, uh, Prime Minister of Australia in the early 70s was William McMahon. It is Julian McMahon. All right. Uh, Born in 71, the controversial figure who famously lived at 3 Hans Crescent, London from 2012 to 2019. Yeah, unfortunately, I just don't know the uh, the address reference here. I'm saying uh, Charlie Bronson, the career criminal, not the actor. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know the reference to the address, but I thought someone who might have spent some time there uh, running some uh, some tricks on people was Jimmy Bose. Um, <laughs> I think this might be Julian Assange. Mm. So I said Julian Assange. Yeah, I might have given it away if I'd said the Ecuadorian Embassy, but that is the address of the Ecuadorian Embassy in London. It is Julian Assange. Well played. Nice poll, Jeff. He was forcibly removed in 2019. That's right. Uh, number seven, born in 1941. Are you prepared to name the singer who had three hit songs, uh, three songs hit number one on the US charts in the early 70s, most notably I Am Woman? All right, I'm going for my second Lucky Smith. I have no idea. I just had a tap. I took a guess. Uh, Olivia Newton-John. I think she's Australian. She is. Well, uh, there was a slight clue in the question. Are you prepared? If you are prepared, you are ready. Her name is Helen Reddy. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now, this is a tough one. I, Neil might get this, but uh, it is a toughie. Born in 1962, the director who followed his breakthrough film Muriel's Wedding with the Hollywood hit My Best Friend's Wedding and who initializes his name to avoid confusion with a famous Australian actor. Uh, I went with a very confusing director. Um, I think this is real, but uh, there's P.T. Anderson, there's Wes Anderson, and there's W.S. Anderson. Yeah, there's Paul W.S. Anderson, yep, uh, director of the Resident Evil flicks. Uh, This one's a really deep reference. Uh, I like My Best Friend's Wedding quite a bit, and I just know this one from stupid knowledge. I believe it's P.J. Hogan. Um, Yeah, the only (laughs) initial one I could think of was uh, P.T. Anderson, so that's what I went with. Yep. Paul Hogan is this director's real name, but there is a famous Australian actor called Paul Hogan. So it is uh, PJ Hogan. Well played, Neil. 
number nine, born in 81, uh, the uh, WNBA MVP, 2003, 07, and 10. Uh, no idea, but I know uh, Cheryl Swoops is pretty good, so Swoops. Yeah, I had to tap on this one, unfortunately. I, I did not know. Yeah, my, my WNBA knowledge is worse than my NBA knowledge, and my NBA knowledge is bad at best, so uh, I had no I had no footing here. Yeah, I, uh, last couple of questions in, in this round <laughs> really do miss Matt, I must admit, but uh, uh, this is Lauren Jackson, hmm. um, who I'm we sorry, actually had on... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we actually had her as a contestant on the celebrity version of The Chase just oh, recently, fun. and she she is enormously tall. Um, and the last one, uh, born in 1965, another of Australia's uh, greatest basketball players who won a championship ring with the Spurs in 99. Yeah, as we were saying, I think this is the uh, player that was mentioned on our previous episode, but I don't remember, even though it was just last week if not an hour ago um but uh, i put in lucky jones yeah this one i made a joke on that show um that it it reminded me of harold baines the baseball player and i couldn't remember what the original name was and i i just as a guess i threw out danes so that's why wouldn't you put baines well, because I, I think I changed the actual name and I said it sounds like Harold Baines. So, so the uh, Aaron Baines, yeah, the current player for Phoenix. No, I think we're looking at Luke Longley. Oh, this one's Luke. <laughs> this uh, this is the Luke Longley oh, era. Come on, so stupid. But Luke, Luke, no. Luke Longley actually had a, a quite a successful NBA career. This is uh, someone who didn't last as long there, but did win a championship. His name is Andrew Gaze. Ah, uh, was it Gaines? I, no. Gaze, G-A-Z-E. Oh, okay. no, we're talking about different people. All right. Well, I'm tacking on an extra 15 points from that round to bring me to 65. I'm tacking on uh, 25, bringing me to 55. And I added 20, going to 60. Moving on to round two. First question is in history. Who was the only one of King Henry VIII's six wives to provide him with a son? As a result of this, Although she died soon after giving birth, she remained his favorite wife and is the only one buried next to Henry. If you don't know the answer, just ask Joyce Frankenberg. I'm locked in. I have a guess. I don't remember which one it is. Okay. I have a guess, too. I'll start. Um, I couldn't remember. Like I said, I was thinking of the show Six, the Broadway show, or soon-to-be Broadway show. And, uh, you know, every wife has a song. But I was not listening to this one, I don't think, because the song I was listening to was talking about the fact that Henry VIII uh, could not raise his axe. So I'm going to say it was Seymour. Yep. I think uh, she died in childbirth and was the only one to receive a queen's funeral, Jane Seymour. I, too, guessed Jane Seymour. Yes, and uh, the actress Jane Seymour's real name is Joyce Frankenberg, so ah. that was the uh, that was the reference there. It is Jane Seymour. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's a cool trivia. Yeah, fact. that's the one thing I know about Henry VIII. So uh, thank you. Number two, bad Australian accents. Based on a memoir by Australian fighter pilot Paul Brickhill, which classic war film of 1963 featured an ensemble cast that did not include Rick Dalton, but did include James Coburn and his terrible attempt at an Australian accent. All right, I'm locked in. Are you locked in? Kind of. I, I was, I was going to talk it out loud. That's fine. I'll lock in because I don't know it. Uh, so you're both locked in? Yeah. yeah. All right, so Rick Dalton, the clue, that's Leonardo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Mm, that's right. That's who he portrays, um, right? Yeah. So, I didn't know if that was a real guy or not. No, no. Um, so, since, so I think I'm right then. Yeah. So 
initially I wanted to say Dirty Dozen, but I don't remember Coburn being in that. I'm thinking of uh, Lee Marvin, I believe. And then when the clue of Rick Dalton came up in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they do a whole sequence where uh, it's imagined that he portrays um, Steve McQueen's role in Great Escape. And I kind of remember Coburn being in The Great Escape. So that's what I locked in with. Yep. Uh, Rick Dalton uh, was ringing a bell. I couldn't place it, but yeah, yeah, you're right. That's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I remember that scene. And then uh, that scene and uh, Steve McQueen's role in that movie uh, kind of inspired me to watch several Steve McQueen movies last month, and one of them was Great Escape. Mm, I went the wrong direction. I went Catch-22. It is the great escape, yes. Uh, I, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood not long ago, and uh, yeah, so there's, there, as Neil says, there is a scene where Rick Dalton essentially acts as Steve McQueen for a, a couple of minutes because he's, you know, he's supposedly was close to getting the role, the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio character. Two and, two and, two together, and yeah, J- James Coburn's um, Australian accent is, yeah, not not great. There weren't as many Australian actors in Hollywood at the time, so. But is it better <laughs> than uh, is it better than Quentin Tarantino's accent in Django Unchained? Ooh. Which is pretty uh, bad. No, no, it's definitely not. Look, I would uh, I would say if we had to rank them, um, yeah, uh, Tarantino's is the worst. Uh, to, to be <laughs> fair, Coburn's is, Coburn's is probably even better than uh, than Meryl Streep's in. Um, <laughs> the film that's called Evil Angels here. I think I think it had a different different uh, cry in the dark. Oh yes, um, yeah. Ding away at my baby. Yeah, early, early yeah. 80s. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, if, if even Meryl Streep can't can't, if even Meryl Streep can't do an Australian accent, then uh, yeah, who can? It, it must be tough. Yeah, that's right. All right. Third question in this round is presidential names. Which U.S. president could claim to be a member of the Christ family? His father's middle name being Christ. And his grandmother's maiden name being Christ. Oh, we're talking about a president from the last 50 years. All right, just have a random guess. Yeah, me too. I'm in. Just guess. Yeah, okay. I got to guess. Okay. Um, some uh, conservatives might think this person is Christ, but I went with uh, Reagan. That's a good guess. Uh, I don't know why I just said Gerald Ford. Yeah, I was also thinking Gerald Ford. I knew his name changed or he changed his name, so I thought maybe there was something there. I could have actually said it's a president from the last 50 minutes because it's Donald Trump. Oh, wow. So his father is was Frederick Christ Trump, and uh, Frederick's mother was Elizabeth Christ. So Donald Trump is a member of the Christ family. And Trump's real last name is like Trump, Trump isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Uh, you mean like uh, when they came here? Yeah. Yeah, when they came here, yeah. yeah. Number four, shared titles. What title is shared by Ed Sheeran's first hit single? And an action-adventure TV series of the 1980s that starred Lawrence Turo. Uh, I think I'm locked in. I can't think of any of them For, right now. I do not care. He's so. in He's in Yesterday quite a lot. I thought he was going to have a quick I'm cameo. Uh, I'm out on this one. Yeah, Ken is not a fan of Ed I, Sheeran. Uh, I'm vetoing the uh, Ed Sheeran question <laughs> here. His albums are like stupidly named right like the they have like a sequence or something um it's like the mathematical signs i think yeah so oh, that's there's right. like that's x right. equals i think that's right yeah yeah so i'm i'm tapped but okay. i don't remember a single one of his songs off the top of my head yeah i'm not it's not my jam shape of you oh i'll go shape of you then because it's yeah okay so yeah shape of you is what i locked in with then all right well it might help if you uh knew that lawrence turo was the real name of mr t it's the A-Team. Oh, that's, that was a song of his? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. that was the title of his his first hit single. It, uh, it sort of hit the at least the top 20, so um yeah. There you go. Interesting. All right, number question number 5 is uh, sport and geography. With approximately 165 million people making it one of the 10 most populated countries in the world, which Asian nation is the most populous country that has never won an Olympic medal? I'm locked in. I have a really good... I'm locked in. So, if you're watching Bloodsport, our video bonus series, our eight-episode tournament, um, I believe you would have seen this answer on episode two or two or three, because I'm editing them. And I want to say that Austin Keep, one of our um, contestants, said this answer, and he was pretty close. I just can't remember the country. Um, I think it... I can't remember if it was Indonesia or oh, there's something close to that. I, I can't remember. I think it's Indonesia, but that's what I'm going to lock in with. Uh, yeah, Indonesia for me. I guessed Indonesia. Indonesia is a very good guess. Oh. Uh, Indonesia had, had no Olympic medals until 1992, I think it was, when badminton came in and they dominate in badminton. Um, this is Bangladesh. Oh, that's what he said was Bangladesh. It's all coming. <laughs> I had amnesia <laughs> regarding Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Bangla- uh, to be fair, Bangladesh has uh, only been an independent country um, less than 50 years. So, you know, like se- uh, 71, 71, I think it was, yeah. So, there's still yeah. time. There is still time. That's right. So good, after- good, good, good cricket team, though, Bangladesh. After five in that second round, uh, looks like I'm adding 20 points, so not too terrible. Yep, same here. I only added 10, so I'm at 70. I'm at uh, 75. And 85 for me. All right, question six is in science and geography. For many years, a trivia staple was that the only U.S. state to have a chemical element named after it was California, that element being Californium. But which state has joined California on the periodic table with element number 117 named in this state's honor in 2016? I'm locked in. And what's the element called? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm locked in. I remember Jeff talking about this or we've had this trivia question or something similar. Um. The only state that probably deserves to have an element named after it is a state that often is vilified for uh, the residents' use of different elements put together. So I'm going to say Floridian, Florida. (laughs) Uh, That might be right. I said Utah. So um, 118 ends the current periodic table. Those are all the noble gases. That would be Oganesson is 118. If you back off from that, those are all like the chlorine, the fluorine, those kinds of things. And it is Tennessee for oh, Tennessee right. Oak Ridge National Lab. Yep. Yeah, I I had to put a, a Jeff question in here somewhere. It is Tennessee. <laughs> yes. Much appreciated. <laughs> That, that's right. So the, a lab in, in Tennessee worked with a lab in, I think, Russia or somewhere like that to essentially uh, uh, produce that element. Yeah, I think it was the uh, uh, Oak Ridge National Lab, if I remember right. Yeah. And yep. I'll send you PayPal later. I don't know what the exchange rate is, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> for the freebie. For the, uh, yeah, for the gimme. All right. Well, uh, this may be a Jeff question too. I'm not sure. Number seven is the internet and geography. Which small Pacific Island nation was unable to afford the fee to join the United Nations until 2000 when it brought in 50 million US (laughs) dollars by selling its highly desirable top level internet domain code? I am locked in. I remember this question because like the abbreviation for the nation is especially useful as a domain code. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking of small Pacific Island nations and uh, 
I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go with Samoa. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe something clicked. Uh, I'm thinking Malaysia, Micronesia. I went with Micronesia. Okay, uh, I think I've got this right, but if I'm wrong, I'll be very devastated because um, I feel like I got this question wrong before. Um, I believe the country is Tuvalu because their extension is .tv. Oh come on, that's right. Yeah, yeah, spot on. It is .tv from Tuvalu. Uh, question eight is in mothers-in-law. In 1979, Ingrid Bergman became the mother-in-law of which famous film director? Question is, who is Ingrid Bergman's daughter or son? I believe it's Isabella Rossellini. You just gonna tell me that? Yeah, I, cause I'm I'm trying to remember the answer. I mean, I'm doing so poorly. <laughs> I think that's I, her daughter. Aren't, aren't you in like second or? Or tied for first? I don't know. I'm just trying to remember who Isabella Rossellini married. Oh, no. Uh, I, I will say this is not you know, obscure like PJ Hogan. This is a this is a big name. Yeah. Okay, I'm locked why in. Do I, why do I think I should know this? I'm locked in. All right. I chose a film director who made a movie that Sting was in, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I went with uh, David Lynch, who also directed Isabella Rossellini at one point. Nice. Um yeah, I wasn't sure. I can't remember. I don't think he was married to her, but uh, he's he's done other weirder things, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Sounds like my guy. <laughs> so I went with uh, Woody Allen. That's, that's what I went with. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, David Lynch was a good uh, guess, but based on having directed Isabella Rossellini, because she is Ingrid Bergman's daughter, and for three years she was married to Martin Scorsese. Oh, that's right. That was the other one I was thinking of. I knew, I knew that. Oh, oh man. That's it's a bad day for right. me. <laughs> she was Question tired nine. of finding uh, eyebrow hairs on her pillow. Yeah, and every time she came home, like he kept putting X's everywhere was in David the house. Lynch references? I don't understand. No, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese references. Martin Scorsese and Eugene Levy walk into a barber shop. If you if you want a David Lynch uh, reference, yeah. then here you go. Pants blue ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I knew I was becoming. I knew I was becoming an old person when I went to the barber and they asked me if I wanted my eyebrows trimmed. That was um, that was a bad day. <laughs> You're not as old, though, as you would be if you went to the barbershop and they asked if you wanted your ears trimmed. Yeah, uh, that, yeah that will be a disappointing day, I'll tell you. Question nine, fittingly, is about old people. The oldest person ever to serve in either house of the U.S. Congress was Strom Thurmond, senator from South Carolina. At the time of his eventual retirement in 2003, how old was Strom Thurmond? And I'll give you one year either way. All right, I'm locked in. I'm locked in with a guess. Yep, I got one too. I'm going to say he was 96. Ooh, yeah, I probably should have gone higher. I said 82. Yeah, I kind of split the difference. I said 87. You needed to go even higher. He was 100. Whoa. So he was 100 years old and still serving as a senator. Gotta love gerrymandering. Final question in regulation is in TV. Which two U.S. sitcoms of the 80s and 90s were both based around families with the surname Tanner? And if you if you would like, I'm happy to give uh, you know, split the points. If you get one, you can have half points. All right. Well, I'm in with one of them, so I'll take the half credit. Yeah, for doing partial. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here all day. I'm locked in. Yeah, so the, the, the one that seems to be easy to get would be Full House. Um, Michelle Tanner, DJ Tanner. Uh, I can't remember. Everyone always forgets about Stephanie. That's true. Um, another show that had a family at the center of it. Um, 
eighties and the nineties. I, I want to say like, it's not perfect stranger step by step or, um, family matters. Was, yeah, oh, the Winslow's. Yeah. The Winslow's Carl was, Winslow. What was the last name on step by step? I don't remember. That was uh Patrick Duffy. Um, maybe it is that, I don't know, but I'm, this is too late for, for this answer. But I'm just going to say, um, the nanny. I'm just taking half That's credit it. for Full House. Yeah, so. yeah, half credit for yeah. Okay, and uh, I'm going uh, Full House, and uh, my throwaway answer is Growing Pains. Mm. Yeah, Full House was the easy one. Uh, the other one, I can't remember all of the names. The dad was Willie Tanner. Um, it's Alf. Oh, yeah. There's Matt when that, you need him. I would say that's the maddest question I've ever heard. He's in transit. <laughs> He's in transit. <laughs> all right, with that, mm-hmm. uh, I've rounded off my score straight to ninety. Oh, man, took a little lead over me. Uh, I uh, am just at 80 now. And I have 95. All right. Categories for the final. We have inventions, 1960s music, Major League Baseball, animals, and disappearances. So as we're figuring out our wagers here, Bryden, uh, you did uh, propose a, uh, a wager of our own here for the winner or the losers of the game. What were you thinking? Well, I think in keeping with the uh, the rest of the show, I think that the loser has to uh, put on record their best attempt at an Australian accent. All okay. right. Okay. That should be deeply offensive. Crikey. <laughs> well, he's Brian's giving us uh, permission. He's permission. Australian. Oh, okay. I'm giving yeah. you permission. So that's yeah. how it works. He's we literally the ambassador here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my wager is locked in, so should we get the questions? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Inventions. Orange was the new black for Australian David Warren, who in the 1950s invented what now ubiquitous transport-related device. In 1960s music, which iconic song of 1963 mentions 13 locations in California, one in Hawaii, and somewhat incongruously, given the song's title, quote, Australia's Narrabeen. Major League Baseball... Three Australians have been selected for Major League Baseball's All-Star Game, a Milwaukee Brewers catcher in 1999, an Oakland Athletics relief pitcher in 2013, and another Athletics pitcher in 2019. Name any one of those three. (laughs) In animals, described as about the size of a small dog, which animal currently found in the wild in only one Australian state is the largest living carnivorous marsupial in the world? And in disappearances... In 1967, we here in Australia quite literally lost our Prime Minister. Harold Holt, who was the Prime Minister at the time, disappeared and was never seen again. What leisure activity was he participating in at the time of his disappearance? Okay, we will uh, consider these answers and we'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off 
an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Okay, with a little bit of uh, difficulty, looks like everybody's locked in for these final answers. So let's start with uh, number one in inventions. Yeah, Orange Orange was the new black for Australian David Warren, who in the 1950s invented what now ubiquitous transport-related device. Um, the key here was the orange uh, to this question, and I finally settled on a road cone. Nice. Uh, what did you wager? I wagered 10. 10. Uh, just for the record, I wagered zero all the way down because I'm mm. in third place. Maybe uh, a good strategy. I you, hope so. You might win off that. Uh, let's see if it pays off. Uh, so I also uh, locked in on orange, and I wrote a traffic cone. I uh, wasn't even thinking about traffic cone. I just figured he invented uh, the rolling suitcase. Well, orange was the new black was the clue. Uh, it is called the black box flight recorder, oh. despite the fact that it is orange. Oh, yeah. And... and uh, a little bit of extra information. He, uh, David Warren died five or six years ago, and someone in his family clearly had a sense of humor because he was buried in a, a coffin that had the label on it that said, uh, flight recorder inventor, do not open. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go for number two. 19, 1960s music. Which iconic song of 1963 mentions 13 locations in California, one in Hawaii, and somewhat incongruously, given the song's title, Australia's Narrabeen? All right, uh, for 10 more points, uh, I got a little lost, so I put Kokomo. I think you're on the right track. I, again, wagered zero. Uh, the only reason I knew this one, and it doesn't matter because it's for no points, uh, Colleen and I were driving up to Woodstock for a day. Woodstock, Illinois has a really cute downtown that was used for the filming of Groundhog Day. And we listened to some Beach Boys because the weather was actually nice that day, and uh, we just thought it'd be fun to listen to some summer music. So we went with the Beach Boys, and I believe, because there's many places named in the song it is surfing usa oh yeah yeah i uh i put 10 on this i said surfing usa yeah correct um california hawaii make a lot of sense for surfing usa i don't know why australia got a mention but it did question three major league baseball uh three australians have been selected for major league baseball's all-star game a brewers catcher in 99 and athletics relief pitcher in 2013 and another athletics pitcher this year 2019 name any one of them I bet a big zero on this one, and I put Wade. Oh, nice. Uh, zero, I, I had a tap on this one, fortunately. I don't think I've ever been happier to bet zero in my entire life. Apparently, <laughs> I wrote strike through, so. Yeah, once again, uh, I was expecting Matt to be here for this game, but uh, the answers are uh, the catcher in 99 was Dave Nilsson, uh, the pitcher in 2013, Grant Balfour, and the pitcher this year, Liam Hendricks. Mm, so close. Described as the size of a small dog, which animal currently found in the wild in only one Australian state is the largest living carnivorous marsupial in the world. All right. For 30 points, I just uh, put my neck on the line here and I put Tasmanian devil. Yeah, I uh, wasn't sure. I was trying to picture an animal that was the same size as Jeff's dog and uh, that was very angry. And I went with Tasmanian devil. 
Um, yeah, they're a bit bigger than my dog because my dog's four pounds. Um, I wager 10 and I too think this is the Tasmanian devil. Hey, Jeff, did you know that cancer is absolutely rampant in the Tasmanian devil, uh, population? <laughs> yes, right a, now? it's a face cancer. I was. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, your neck is safe, Ken. It is the Tasmanian devil. Funnily enough, the uh, one state that it is found in the wild in is Tasmania. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> And finally, uh, in 1967, we here in Australia quite literally lost our Prime Minister, Harold Holt, who disappeared while participating in what leisure activity? I had not heard this, but uh, I could imagine somebody being lost while uh, boating or sailing. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, finally here, uh, definitely betting zero. Um, in a bid to uh, finally put the um, jokes to, to bed, to the vibrating bed, as it were, uh, I'm going to just say it was the activities of the tantric n- nature. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I said I'd bet 10 on that one. Yeah, I did not get that, no. Um, I, I figured I wouldn't know much about disappearances, so I bet zero. And I thought um, it, w- it would be funny if he was doing something totally normal and mundane and went missing. So I said golf. Hmm. <laughs> Well, Ken was closest. It was actually swimming. He uh, he was a, a big swimmer, went swimming off the coast of uh, Melbourne and never came back. Yeah, makes and sense. And there, <laughs> there is, in fact, in Melbourne, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre, which is uh, you know, somewhat irony. ironic name, but um, there you go. At 80. At 100. <laughs> you didn't pull it out? No, I... I <laughs> neither, neither did Sting. <laughs> Nice teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Okay, that concludes the game today. Uh, looks like uh, Neil is the big loser today with 80 points. I uh, did a wash. I remained at 90 points. And uh, Jeff, congratulations, with 100 points, just barely squeaking out a little bit of uh, extra pointage in that round. You are the cream of the crop unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in, but the cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. And as the winner, as Bryden said, you have to do your best Australian accent, Jeff. I thought the losers <laughs> did that, Neil. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uh, it depends on what pick, you want me to say. Pick a movie. Um, but uh, I, th- I, think you should, I think you should say um, the, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. All right, yeah, I can do that. He um, just did it, so now you just have to do that. Not hard. No, no, I'll do that. I just want to say, though, my favorite thing in <laughs> Australian, in the language that I, I hear to my ears, and it is, is candy to my ears, is when certain Australians say no, and they go, no. That's my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Um, all right, let's see. Um, <clears throat> the game where a lack of... Uh, <laughs> the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit... Oh, on British. <laughs> It was New Zealand at first, and then it went little, British. Has his struggle satisfied you? The oh, game that, that, that satisfies me greatly. It was uh, it, it wasn't bad to start with. It did become a bit Jimmy Bowes towards the end. It but, did. Um, it did. That's because you lived in England for too long. It did. It well, did. Well, well played. <laughs> All right. Well done, Neil. Uh, that was a blast. Thank you, Bryden, for the the questions and hosting, and of course for your support on Patreon. We surely appreciate it. Yeah, look, I've been listening to um, Triviality f- almost since the start, I think. And um, look, I, do, I just I love the humor of the show. I uh, I often listen to it while I'm driving into the studio to film the chase. And you'd be surprised there have been occasions where something has come up on the show that I've just listened to on Triviality, uh, you know, that day. So it, it helps me. 
Um, I love the content. I know a lot of work goes into it, so I'm uh, always happy to um, support you guys. Thank you. Thanks well, for having thanks me on. so much, and yes. of course, you're welcome back anytime. Yes, where can people find you, Brian, if they'd like to follow your uh, your writing, your career, everything else? You can find me um, certainly on uh, Twitter at uh, Brian Coverdale. Uh, that's where I do a lot of my um, my social media. Um, and uh, yeah, I um, I'm uh, always there and thereabouts on the uh, on the um, triviality uh, social media as well. So uh, that that's about it, I think. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for, for joining us. We loved all the questions. They were uh, really well written. A uh, special thank you to uh, your wife and kids uh, for uh, you know giving you some time to host here today uh, and also putting it in your schedule. We know how busy you are and we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, for Jeff... Hey, do it in the accent. Uh, <laughs> for Jeff... That was, that was pretty good. That's, pretty That's good. not bad. For Jeff, Ken... Matt and Bryden, that was triviality. But not Neil. But triviality was the only thing that was British. I was pretty good on that all the way up until then. (laughs) Nice try. Good day, everyone. I would I would love a nature documentary uh, narrated by by Daniel Daniel Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel or Daniel Plainview, Plainview yeah. specifically. Watch as the tiger. I can't even think of what to say. <laughs> you see, he approaches his prey. He will slit his throat <laughs> when he's sleeping. <laughs> the way the hummingbird but, approaches the flower. In, <laughs> he'd have to go and live in the wild for like five years to prepare for it, though, wouldn't he? Yes, exactly. Okay. I, I just imagine a hummingbird drinking from someone else's flower, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> I drink your nectar. (laughs) 